and he called me on my layover and he told me the whole story of what happened and how he was standing there you know sobbing as they held him captive while they searched his car and that's when everything that I that he had been teaching me that just became real all at once um, because it happened to him hi I'm Hannah and I'm Monica and you're listening to Cage Nation Welcome back, Monica. Hi, we're so excited to share this episode today with you all. So we have some really cool episodes we're going to share with you this year. And some of them are going to be recorded a little bit differently. So we're really excited because we've had a lot of people reach out to us from different states, different part of the country. We even have listeners in different countries in the world, so we're really excited. So some of the recording um, isn't in person, and so it's going to sound a little different. So February is Black History Month, and we're going to talk about white people engaging in some change around what they understand and what privilege looks like and our guest today Skylar is going to share a lot about his experience. So Skylar is a part of Forgive Everyone which is a clothing company out of the Midwest and we are so excited to be able to learn more about his work and actually how he came to be doing this work. Such a cool story and we're so excited to share it and again listeners the sound might be a little bit different but the content is incredible. We're really excited hope you enjoy it. Hi, I'm Skylar Rich. I'm the CEO uh, and founder of Forgive Everyone Co. And Forgive Everyone Co. is a clothing and content brand that's dedicated to um, raising awareness and understanding for people that are coming out of prison or in prison using the power of forgiveness um, by really one of the main methods is storytelling. And we also donate 20% of our proceeds to various uh, nonprofits which are doing housing work, employment reform, um, and prison reform and rehabilitation. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Skylar. Uh, I appreciate you taking time to share about your work and um, all the change that you're impacting in the community. So thank you. Absolutely. I'm really, I'm really appreciative you guys are willing to have me. So Skylar, what do you think about the question, when does a person's sentence end? I think a person's sentence ends when, when the court has ruled that it's ended, right? That, um, I mean, they were given a sentence for whatever altercation or something that happened in their life, whatever they did, um, assuming that they were rightfully convicted. And their sentence ends when they get out, when they get released, that's the debt that society said they should pay. Um, And after that, it's over. They should be free. Do you think from a community standpoint or when thinking about stigma, people are free in that way after their sentence is over? I would say absolutely not. Um, One of the ways I frame in terms of the company that I've run is called Forgive Everyone Co. So we talk a lot about forgiveness. And I think that um, people that are formerly incarcerated that have criminal records, when they get out, I, I consider them the least forgiven people in the country. Uh, just for a mm-hmm. sense that they have the most public record of unforgiveness. We've all messed up in our lives. We've all done really bad things that um, we probably haven't told many people or we wouldn't want people to know, or maybe we just told a few people. Um, But for many of these people, the worst thing they did on the worst day of their life um, is public record. It can be found through a Google search or a simple background check and needs to be brought up every time they apply for a job, apply for a volunteer position, apply for housing, apply to rent. Um, And they're really held captive by the stigma 
that's associated with that record. So I would say in our current state of things, um, absolutely not. They're still held captive by that stigma, even though they serve their time. Skylar, you have entered this work in a really interesting way. When I spoke with you a few months ago, um, you talked about kind of a belief system that you used to hold and how things have changed for you over time. Can you talk about kind of what has shifted for you as far as work around criminal justice or social justice issues? Yeah, um, absolutely. So I'm 21. I'm in my senior year of, of college. And um, I've, I've been in college for now, yeah, about four years. But the years prior to college were very different um, experience for me. So I'd like today I consider myself a very socially engaged individual, very dedicated to advocacy and activism in a variety of contexts. Um, however, in high school, I was, I was a complete opposite um, and even pushing in more dangerous routes. So starting in freshman year of high school, I started engaging um, in alt-right media and it started with just um, effectively a video here and there or a statistic here and there that is biased and misconstrued. And I started kind of going down that hole and just consuming more of that and uh, getting deeper and deeper into really toxic ideologies. And so I was very much, um, by the end of my senior year, I wouldn't say I was a radical by any means, but I was solidly agreeable to the alt-right movement um, and to nationalistic ideologies. And when I came to college, um, I brought that with me and I didn't expect ever that to really ever change. Cause I thought, of course, as we all do, wherever, whatever mindset we're in, I thought, I thought I was right. I thought I was acting in the right way and seeing the world in the correct way and whatnot. Um, even though I absolutely wasn't. And my views were really, um, dangerous and hurtful to a lot of people. So, um, when I got to college, my girlfriend at the time had a friend and that she had met there and he basically had gotten wind of what my views were and he's from a completely different background than I was and uh, racially, socioeconomically, location-wise. So I'm white, um, upper middle socioeconomic class from the West Coast and he was black from lower socioeconomic class in West Lansing in Michigan. Um, mm. And so he got, he got wind of my views and he was definitely taken aback and interested in them. And so he approached me about them and he started to develop this relationship with me that turned into really a blossoming friendship. And um, he would question my views and he would, he would educate me on key things and he would challenge me on key things, but it was always in a loving spirit and in a friendly, in a friendly spirit. Um, and so he and I became pretty close but he ended up introducing me to this education and these documentaries and this new information that was starting to really shake up my worldview. And one of the key pieces of that was the documentary 13th um, by yeah. Ava DuVernay, Ava DuVernay. Um, yeah, and which talked powerful. about, yeah, incredibly powerful documentary. Um, and for those who haven't seen it, it's basically talking about how the 13th amendment, which read the slaves um, was turned into um, basically it has a clause in it that says, slavery is abolished unless you've been convicted of a crime. Um, and then that was exploited through Jim Crow laws and the eventual war on drugs and how now we have this massive incarceration system that disproportionately incarcerates um, people in the minority communities. So that started to really shake up my worldview. Um, and my current worldview was like racism doesn't exist. Um, everyone who calls racist is just trying to get attention, whatnot, just mm -hmm. all that kind of bad train of thought. 
Um, so I started to kind of shake it up, but didn't change my thoughts at all because it wasn't directly impacting my life. I had a lot of privilege. I still have a lot of privilege. Um, racial issues didn't directly impact me in any sort of negative way. So I, I didn't necessarily have any feel any need to change. Um, that was that all changed one night where that friend, his name's Jordan, he um, ended up getting pulled over by the police. And he was driving out of my college here at 2 a.m. and was pulled over for a broken taillight. And um, the first question they asked him was, where are you coming from? And he said, I'm coming from college. They said, well, what the hell are you doing there? Because I go to, I go uh-huh. to this place called Calvin College in Grand Rapids. They said, what the hell are you doing there? He said, well, I, I go to school there. And they said, okay, do you have drugs or weapons in the car? The, the second question they asked, do you have drugs or weapons in the car? And he said, no. And they said, well, why are you so nervous? And he didn't uh, know how to respond to that because he was nervous. Um, and so they ended up taking him out of his car and searched his whole car, um, let him put it all back together and um, let him go on his way. And that shook him up visibly for the next few days. I didn't even know what happened because he didn't tell me right away. But for the next like three days, he was visually, vis- visibly shaken um, he wasn't mm-hmm. himself. And I kept asking him, what's going on? What's wrong? He's like, I, I'll tell you later. Like, I don't want to talk about it. And he ended up calling me um, when I had left because it was Thanksgiving. So I'd left to go home to Washington. I was in an airport in Chicago. And he called me on my layover. And he told me the whole story of what happened and how he was standing there, you know, sobbing as they held him captive while they searched his car. And that's when everything that, I'd, that he had been teaching me that just became real all at once. Um, because it happened to him and he was a friend and it was something I couldn't deny anymore and I couldn't just chalk up to um, whatever fake news or whatever I believed at the time it was a real thing it was a real person that I cared really deeply about and so that's the only time in my life legitimately where I've had a 180 degree transition in a matter of seconds I mean I was Mm. when I hung up that phone call I was a different person than when I picked it up and I devoted that whole plane ride. I was writing spoken words. I was I filled a whole journal in one plane ride, um, which is my thoughts of that, and just completely unraveling everything I previously believed and starting to build up this new version of what would become um, who I am now. And so for the next three years, I just dove into social justice issues and just learning as much as I could about social justice and social equity and what role race plays in America and how that's been exploited and just learning everything I should have learned a long time ago Uh, and the more and more I did that the more I felt connected to uh, the incarcerated population Um, and the more and more I saw their plight of wow they've made really bad mistakes in their past and yet this is nonviolent drug offenses and uh, wrongfully convicted individuals aside um, so a lot of these people have made really bad mistakes in their life and they've served their time to to society whatever it's been given and they get out and they're still held to who they were, not to who they are. And that really resonated with me because I'd had this massive transformation and I wanted to be known for who I am now, not for the toxic ideologies I had when I was younger, you know, and, and where I right. really went down the wrong path. So I really felt connected to them um, and started learning more and started meeting with people who are formerly incarcerated and writing to people who are in currently incarcerated um, and just kind of started down that path. And now... Um, I'm not even close to my 10,000 hours on learning about incarceration yet, but um, I'm well on my way. You know, people who knew you when you were younger, people who grew up with you in Washington, 
How are they connected with you now, or are there thoughts, opinions about um, how much of a shift you've had? Sure, it was a. So I was never like really a popular person in high school. It's kind of um, more of not necessarily a loner at all, but um, smaller group of friends, right? And I was pretty reserved about my own beliefs and what I said, but people could tell that I had certain beliefs, but they weren't that crazy. It was uh, a high school that was predominantly white, predominantly upper class. It was a private high school. Um, and so a lot of these things, even if they would be offensive anywhere else, they weren't necessarily objectively crazy offensive to a lot of these people because they weren't exposed to the issues the same as I wasn't. Um, so a lot of them, that shift kind of came as a surprise when I started posting um, on social media, all this new stuff. And that was more progressive, right? It was more liberal and more democratic. And a lot of people just chalked it up to, oh, we went to college and became a liberal, just like everyone, um, which is kind of a stereotype. Um, yeah. But I feel like sometimes it was a little bit invalidated, like the actual experience that I had and how deep of a shift it really was. It wasn't just surface level kind of ideological change. Um, but really my four closest friends, I had like four, um, four friends from like back in grade school, middle school that I'd kept all the way through. And it was definitely a big shock when I came back actually that Thanksgiving break where I'd had that transformation on that plane. And I was just spewing all this new information at them and they were just kind of overwhelmed and a little bit resistant at that point, but we're still really, really close now. And they've kind of, we've had just amazing conversations and I've been able to be that friend to them to kind of open their eyes to a lot of issues that they hadn't thought about previously. And, um, and that's been really, really positive. Skylar, what was it like for you? What is it like for you to be a young white man who's, you know, from your description, very privileged to kind yeah. of have this moment of realization that the world that you live in isn't the world that everybody else sees or lives in. What was that like for you? That was pretty shaking for me. Um, and I felt a need to prove myself that I was trying to understand and I wasn't completely ignorant anymore. I felt a lot of that need to like, no, I'm like, I'm not like all these other people who don't care. Like I do really care. So I think in those initial stages, I just kind of like over shared stuff um, sometimes and was just trying to like prove myself that I was what quote unquote woke. Um, if you want to use that term, but for, for me now, there's a lot of shame, I think, attached to who I was. Absolutely. And there's a certain level of guilt to who I am now. Not to who I am now, but to uh, in terms of growing up privileged, and I have so many more opportunities than a lot of other people that I know. And so some sense of guilt about that. But in reality, it's not a sense of guilt, but more of a sense of, I need to do something with this, right? So I've been given this one, this, these resources and this privilege that has put me in a position where I can influence difference and I can have impact and I can um, move forward, right? And then two, I've been given honestly the privilege of having someone like a person of color that was willing to sacrifice to come alongside me and be my friend, even when I was resistant to that, even when I had ide ideologies that was disaffirming to their own humanity and they were willing to humble themselves and step down and willing to bring me out of that, you know, through their friendship. Um, and so I've been given a really unique position. And so the thing I feel most at the moment is just this, I can't squander this, that kind of feeling of 
I need to do something with this and I'm in a unique place where I can make a difference, especially in uh, people that look like me as well and help change their ideologies, especially if they grew up in similar situations. How have you talked to people who maybe share similar ideology to where you were previously at? How do you feel like you bring other people and particularly white people along with you in your journey? So that's something I've been considering a lot um, more recently. This is one of the first times actually, yeah, the second time ever that I've shared this story publicly on a, on a place like this, which is a podcast. Um, and mm-hmm. I did one earlier last couple of weeks ago um, where I shared this publicly because this previously as part of my stories has always been hidden. And there's not even many of my friends now that even know this about me, um, that those are the ideologies I held um, and that I was a much different person years ago. So um, it's something that I haven't used in terms of my story. I haven't directly used to try and impact that change, um, but rather just knowing, having, having a sense of empathy, I guess, uh, for people that are having kind of racial bias and racial prejudice and um, having a sense of empathy of being able to put myself in their shoes. And when I first get angry at them, which I often do, because uh, that's a natural response for me now is to be angry whenever I see that kind of injustice. Uh, to to stem that anger for a second and kind of humble myself and realize I was that same kind of person as they were. And I had those same thoughts and I didn't think I was a bad person then. So if I go and just tell this person they're a bad person, they're not going to listen to me because they don't believe that. So it makes me really critically think about how do I reach these people in a different way um, and really help them see um, a different, a different path or a different viewpoint on life, just like my friend did. And so a lot of it just comes down to uh, trying to understand their position and trying to understand what things they care about and trying to find that common ground between us and then building on that. So, for instance, with incarceration, I meet a lot of people that are pretty resistant to the idea of forgiveness for people that have made mistakes in their past. And um, so, like, sometimes I approach it from a social justice standpoint, if that's if someone's more progressive and socially inclined. But if they're not, and maybe they're more conservative or they're more about public safety, um, I just meet them on a common ground of, hey, look, I want a really safe society and you want a really safe society for yourself and your loved ones. Right? We both want that same thing. And here's the statistics that show these people are, are provided opportunities for employment and housing and have a stable community to come back to. Crime goes down and recidivation happens less. So this is like a proven fact-based approach to reduce crime. So even if you don't agree with loving the person and forgiving the person, like let's just start with the facts that this reduces crime. And if you can see that and you're more open to more ideas, then we can start building on you seeing these people as worthy of worth and love. You know, but I just try and kind of meet people where they're at and know that I'm not here to change people's minds right off the bat. I'm here to plant a seed um, that will hopefully grow over time and continue to develop into um, a changed mindset. And I just play a very a small role in that. It seems like when you were talking about your friendship with Jordan, I think you said that was his name. Yeah. That um, he was uh, patient with you. And also, I think you mentioned like friendly conversation, like he kind of continued a dialogue with you despite such vast differences. And it seems like that's a part of your approach now, um, kind of like paying that forward and having some patience, also having some empathy that you've been there, um, but also that you're hoping to, to kind of 
push or move the dial in some direction, that this isn't just like exactly. passive acceptance of the world, um, that you are taking exactly. some active um, choice to do something, um, but also knowing what it's like to be in that spot and like really how do people change or how do people feel understood? Yeah, exactly. How I try and, how I try and put it is when we enter into conversations with people that disagree with us, um, and I, I like to frame rather than just people who disagree, but people who particularly have um, more toxic or dangerous ideologies, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's plenty of people we disagree on, maybe like what food you want to eat, or obviously if yeah. this person is, is a racist and I am not, and I believe in equality for all people, they're going to disagree with me. And so I'm not looking to have them like change minds of people who disagree with them, right? We're not looking to confirm our world. We're looking to push a healthy one forward. So, um, when I approach these conversations with people that, you know, have dangerous or toxic ideologies or, or difficult views, um, how I kind of try and frame it is, do we want to prove to others that we're right and prove to everyone around us that we're right? Or do we want to actually change minds? You know, cause we're going to approach those conversations very differently. If we want to, you know, prove to everyone around us that we're right, um, we can spout off a bunch of information, do all this stuff and just kind of throw it in their face and make them feel really bad, right? And make them feel stupid and belittle them and, um, and make them feel like we're attacking them. And that's just going to cause them to shut down, um, isolate them further, and in the worst case, push them further into the ideologies they're already having, just confirming their views. Um, whereas if I can approach them in a way that they're receptive to and trying to find where they're at and meet them, and find common ground and build little by little, step by step, they're not going to be resistant to that and they're going to be willing to listen. And hopefully as that continues over the over the weeks and months and it takes patience and time and takes a ton of work, that will actually result in mind change and heart change rather than, um, than no change at all. How does that philosophy relate to your um, the company that you created, Forgive Everyone, and how does it relate to the name of the company, Forgive Everyone? How do all those things connect yeah. for you? I've done a lot of thinking about this over the past month, actually, <laughs> um, even before, like actually after we first talked. So mm-hmm. originally, and, and that's why I said at the beginning too, the, the point of the company is you know to raise awareness for people that are formerly incarcerated. But over the past month, two months, I've really taken a step back and just trying to look at it objectively and okay, what what's the real motivation here? What's the wider social change I want to see? It's an incarceration, yes, but like I said, this is the most unforgiven portion of society. There's tons of other people in society that are unforgiven or have things they need forgiveness for or need help with forgiveness, right? Um, so what's the wider wider view of this? And so how, how I relate it to incarceration is that right now we're more divided than ever, um, almost more divided than ever. We're more divided in time than we ever have been since the Civil War, um, which is a pretty insane fact, right? Um, our country is splitting down the middle in a very real sense. And in a very real sense, it's almost a fight against good and evil in terms of ideology that's going on. Um, and we saw the Civil War ended, ended in the catastrophic break, it ended in disrepair, ended in, in loss of life. Um, and, we, and it's foolish to think that we won't end in a similar, maybe not loss of life, but another catastrophic breaking point of some kind where we can't sustain this division forever. Um, so what I want to do is, is we're living this divided era 
and people want to advocate for what they care about, particularly socially engaged people, but they're not sure how to do it in a way that actually changes minds. They're not sure to actually do it in a way that actually brings people in onto their side. It just seems like the more we advocate, the more we divide and the more we push people away when that's the opposite of what we're trying to do with advocacy. So um, I want to basically help people unify communities and unify people with dis- dis- disagreeing views and, and views that clash uh, through the power of forgiveness and through that power of empathy and seeing someone as a human being and finding a place where you can relate to them and then build from that sense of common ground. And the way I see being able to connect that to people is that if I can share these stories of people that are formerly incarcerated, the most unforgiven people in society, the most publicly, most public form of unforgiveness in society, if I can get someone to see the humanity in someone's story like that, maybe if someone took a life, served time in prison, got out, and now they're contributing to their, to their community, and they're doing good in the world, and they're just completely transformed being, if I can get someone to see the humanity in that person, you can get the humanity, them to see the humanity in anyone. You can hopefully get them to see the humanity in their maybe their crazy uncle who shares political garbage on Facebook and they feel like they can't have any good conversation with and you can help maybe start taking a step back and have cognitive dissonance that how could I see the humanity and understand this person as a human being but I'm not able to with him and now how am I able to approach him in a way that he'll actually listen to me and that we can actually move forward together. Um, So that's the wider mission and that connects I think directly to the name Forgive Everyone is that everyone has a record, right? Some people have a criminal record and that's what we talk about a lot on that brand, but everyone has a record. We have a record of wrongs. We have a record of things we've said. We have a record of people we've hurt. Um, and we, and when I say those words, I'm sure there are people listening. I'm sure you feel it. When I say there's people you've hurt, there's things you've said that you wish you hadn't. There's memories popping up in your brain right now and pangs of shame and pangs of guilt of these things that, you've said or people you've hurt or things you've done. Um, And we have that record and we want to be remembered for who we are now. We want to be known for the progress we've made. We want to be known for um, the person we are today, not the person we were or not the person we were on that certain day where we made a really bad decision. And everyone wants that. Everyone wants to be remembered for who they are now, not who they were. So um, I'm just connecting that to the larger vision of, these are these people that have a very blatant example of that, you know, in terms of incarceration, but everyone has a similar story on a lesser, on a lesser side and everyone needs forgiveness. Um, I know, I know I venture to say every, that every single person in this world needs forgiveness. Um, and I think that's really the only path, um, path forward from division is forgiveness and empathy. Skylar, what, has it been like for you to meet people who were formerly incarcerated or maybe people who are incarcerated or about to be incarcerated? And what's it like for you to see the humanity in those people? Sure. Um, mostly the first time I met someone who was formerly incarcerated, I didn't grow up, I didn't have any family members or anything like that. Um, I started the brand because I wanted to help and I wanted to donate money and I didn't really have too much of a plan around it. And then I kind of had this realization. I'm like, shoot, I haven't met anyone who's been incarcerated. How can I say I care? <laughs> I've never That's met cool. anyone. That's ridiculous. So <laughs> I um, so I put an ad on Craigslist, okay. um, which is people have told me is the worst <laughs> place to put an ad to meet people oh my on. God. So you're like, hey, I'm searching for an incarcerated, a formerly incarcerated person. Like, I legitimately, yeah, I legitimately, 
you, that sounds ridiculous. That's legitimately what I did. I put an ad on Craigslist on the community section that said, Hey, are you formerly incarcerated? Have you been discriminated against for housing or employment or whatnot? Like, I'd just love to come like hear your story and talk to you. Um, so and I got a surprising amount of responses. Um, apparently wow. there's multiple people who are formerly incarcerated on Craigslist community. And, um, <laughs> The first guy's name was Henry, right? <laughs> the first guy's name was Henry. And he's like, oh, yeah, Henry. so we set a place okay. downtown and we met and he was like 26, I want to say. Mm-hmm. And um, he was in college for graphic design. He had a cocaine problem, ended up um, attacking a mutual friend when he was on a cocaine binge and getting arrested. He wasn't let back into college because of his record. So he got expelled from his college, couldn't finish his degree. And I was working as a cook and like, I heard his story and we talked for an hour and, um, it was, it, it just gave me this sense of like, wow, this is a normal guy that if I just read his news story before, I'd be like, Oh wow. Like, what a crazy dude. That's insane. Mm-hmm. And I met him and I sat down with him and he's just a normal guy who made a really bad mistake and feels really bad for it. And he's trying to do his best to pick his, pick his life but put the pieces of his life back together um and i was like i need to do more of this there's something really special here Um, because i really didn't see anything else like it as much of all many of the stories of people that were incarcerated in mainstream media were sensationalized um always referred to like oh look this ex-con is now running a company and like that's super good but what about just the average person you know who made a mistake and got incarcerated and now is getting out and just doing life. There's amazing success stories too, but there's a whole bunch of just normal people, you know? And so I saw a real big need to start sharing these stories. So I, I made a few more Craigslist ads. Um, I didn't have to do that for too long because people started telling their friends um, who had also been incarcerated. And so I started having people reach out to me to talk. So that's kind of how I've been getting the majority of the stories now. But um, yeah, that's kind of, how I started doing that. And then I started writing people in prison and that was the same thing. I was like, wow, these amazing writers and with amazing stories and so much love to give and so much just craving for human contact. And they're forgotten by the majority of society where they're viewed as just contact, uh, as just convicts um, and those dehumanizing words. And so I really saw I needed just, put a name to these people. Don't ever use the word felon or ex-con and just say, this is, this is Henry. This is Lawrence. This is Steven, you know, and this is their story. Really long form and read it, appreciate it because there's something sacred about it. So, um, yeah, it was a really weird experience. So I had first <laughs> just getting on Craigslist and be like, all right, guess this is what I'm doing. <laughs> When I hear that story about Henry and you trying to kind of put um, an experience or a life um, in connection with maybe things that you would want to do, but you're like, oh, yeah, I actually need to meet the people that are most impacted by this. Mm-hmm. When you tell that story, I think about um, something that a previous guest on our show said, which is that we are better than the worst thing that we've ever done. And mm-hmm. um, I, I hear that through. Um, the idea of forgiveness, acceptance, and then also that holds space for potential for people to be better. That like maybe five years ago, I did have an addiction and I made horrible choices and I hurt a lot of people and I still have space and potential to do something better with my life. Exactly. 
Yeah, and that's exactly how I see it. It's and everyone has that potential. No matter what what your worst thing is, no matter what is, everyone has the potential to improve. Skylar, can you tell us about Forgive Everyone and what this what you're doing and what you've done? And I'm looking at your website right now, and it's really cool. And um, it looks like you you know really are trying to be intentional about your project and and i'm interested to hear what this means and what the feedback's been like and 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 everything you're doing yeah it's been really um it's been really cool to see the feedback on it and i'm learning more every day because when i started this i legitimately and this is again just crazy how it started is i got this idea i was just sitting in class and like man I, i really care about these issues but i feel like no one else really care does so how can i connect more people to it i'm like oh i'll start a clothing brand I'll slap forgive everyone on a shirt because like I'd really been, I'd, I'd read that um, there's a song called take your time by fun. And they say, um, forgive everyone in that song. And that just really resonated with me with everything I've been learning. And so I'd like made some stickers and put them all around campus that said, forgive everyone and, and whatnot, just little stuff. And I was like, Oh, like I can make this clothing brand and I'll just throw a logo on a shirt and like everyone will want it. And I'll raise money for these nonprofits. Um, then after I started a clothing brand, I kind of realized, wow, everyone and their brother has a clothing brand. Um, it's not, that's not deep enough. You know, that's not enough. You can't just throw something on a shirt and, and expect people to connect with it and learn more about incarceration and whatnot. So I say, I mean, I started almost two years ago now, but really I don't feel like I've run it to, to how I wanted to run it for two years at all. You know, I started just like that with a single website and like a single shirt up and just no sense of nuance or understanding because I was just still learning and it's really developed a lot more. So right now it's been for simply raising awareness for people incarcerated and the idea was hey if I can put something on a shirt that sparks a conversation between someone who really does care about these issues and someone who doesn't know anything about them and if that person can see a shirt and be like oh hey what does that mean forgive everyone or forgive like tell me more about that and they're like yeah it's this company and they're helping people incarcerated and did you know about all this stuff and the issues of incarceration in the United States and can kind of be that advocate and that first point of contact for people that don't care. Um, that's what I want it to be right now. But as it's developed, like I already mentioned earlier in this podcast, it's connecting, forgive everyone is such a wider vision to connecting it to this more sense of division in society and bringing people back together and unifying people and getting people to see the humanity and the least forgiven people in society and so that they can see the humanity in everyone in society. I, I do the storytelling. Every single order that um, is purchased online comes with a full story of one of the people we've met with and their picture written by one of our writers. And then 20% of the proceeds get donated to our reentry nonprofits. And um, so that, that's kind of what it's been up until this point. The rebrand is a really big deal for me. I've been working on it for a really long time. Um, but we just hired our first formerly incarcerated designer. And so wow. he um, got out years ago and he's going to be doing the majority of the artwork from now on. So I'm really excited about that. And he's getting paid for his work. And um, we've been talking for about a year and a half now and just been, he's close. He's here in Grand Rapids. Um, so we've really developed a really cool relationship and he's going to be helping me print all the shirts. He's going to be designing most of them. So that's really exciting part of it. And Secondly, we're transitioning entirely to reclaimed clothing. So um, up until this point, we're selling new clothing. And uh, that's fine. And that's great. 
but I started to have this tension where I started learning more about the fashion industry and the horrible waste and pollution that's contributed simply by making apparel. Um, one in six people in the world are employed by the apparel industry. 80% of them are women. 98% of them aren't paid a living wage. Um, a mm. single t-shirt takes 700 gallons of water to make uh. and half a pound of pesticides, wow. right? Oh so there's all this waste. And so I was seeing, why am I trying to do good in this social space, which is incarceration and community unity, right? And why am I using something that's really damaging? to do something that's really good. You know, that doesn't make sense. Why can't I use something that's good and is needed to create something that's also good and is needed? Um, so in the next couple months, I'm right now I'm sourcing it all and um, phasing out the new clothing on the site. But I'm going to be transitioning entirely to reclaimed clothing um, with this whole idea of the, the rebrand is forgive everyone reclaimed clothes, reclaimed lives, restoring the fabric of humanity. Uh, with that, this idea that we can take clothing now it's been discarded and thrown away by society and make it better and print on it and upcycle it and make it a desirable item again. And we can do the same thing by sharing the stories of these people that were discarded by society and forgotten and they reclaimed their lives and show them the, the value and the wonderful and the beauty in it and the beauty um, of these people who had these, these dark pasts. So, um, so that's, that's where I'm kind of moving and, until then. And by doing that, it creates no new water no new waste is truly sustainable um, is using what we already have here. Because what I saw is like, we need more forgiveness in society. We don't need any more new clothes. So I'm not going to be a part of that problem. Um, I'm going to be part of that solution. So um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. <laughs> it's a lot of work to do to change that. And um, a lot of, a lot of testing that's going to have to happen to see if that's even viable. But um, I really feel a strong, strong need to do that. I'm like blown away. I know. So Skylar, you're 21. Um, I don't need to go into the stories of what I was doing at 21, but I certainly was not doing <laughs> what you're doing. No, me either. Um, I feel like I, I mean, we're all a work in progress. I, you know, um, but I think that it's taking me a lot of years um, and a lot of self-evaluation and critical analysis and years of degrees in college and all of that to get to a point to even like talk about these things. So the fact that you like really just did a 180 in your life and changed your mind in a moment about who you wanted mm -hmm. to be and now you're advancing it um, through a business is just amazing. Um, what kind of support do you have in your life or like who do you, who do you surround yourself with? Yeah, I think um, community and, and loving others and getting loved by others is the reason we exist. So I, I kind of really reject this idea that, you know, grind until you make it, grind until you die. Like all these mm -hmm. classic entrepreneurs that said, like, I didn't see anyone for two years and just worked all night every night. And I hate that idea. Like if I can't build mm -hmm. something that's good without cutting off all my friends and I don't want to build anything at all. You know, yeah. if I have to cut off my relationships to, to do good in the world through a business, then well, screw that. Like, I'm not going to do that. Um, yeah. Relationships are so important. So um, I've, I've been really lucky that I've really found a, a good amount of friends that um, care about this and have learned about it and care about what I'm doing and have been very supportive of it. 
um, my parents as well. So a little bit background on that. I think a lot of people who have racist views in high school, they say, well, my parents are racist. And so I adopted that. And that wasn't the case for me. Um, my parents are definitely classically conservative, but um, they grew up in, my, my dad particularly grew up in uh, a neighborhood called Linwood, California. And his dad was a pastor down there um, when he was growing up. And that neighborhood was uh, basically a white flight neighborhood where um, seg- desegregation happened and a ton of the white people just left, right? And my dad's family was the only one that actually stayed. And so my dad, I mean, basically in his, in his kindergarten year of school, he was, there was only one African-American kid in his, in his class. And by the senior year, my dad was the only white kid in his class. So he's mm-hmm. always seen these issues that have happened in his community and how they were treated differently by the police, how they were treated differently by administrators and just not understanding it, right? And being really angry at it for a long time. So my dad, my family wasn't racist. At least my, my immediate family wasn't racist. Um, so they've been a really strong sense of support, had a really strong sense of support for my transformation and, and what I'm doing now. And I really wouldn't be the person I am today without my parents. So I want to give them a lot of credit. Because um, again, like that's <laughs> honestly people talk, for all people talk do talk about white privilege and they talk about class privilege and all those really play a role. But even just the privilege of having two really strong parents that are together mm. and are invested in my success and uh, and care about me as a person. That's, that's a privilege in itself. And that's something that is more rare um, than it should be, you know, mm. that people have that. And so, um, so that's been a huge blessing. Um, and then lastly, just some of the connections I've made through the work I've done, um, particularly people who are formerly incarcerated. I mean, there's one person in particular I can think of, well, actually two, Steven is another guy I met. Um, <laughs> I would throw a Craigslist ad too. Um, <laughs> same the kind of thing, sending out for people formerly incarcerated. But he, we kept talking, and he's like 45, has a couple dogs, like lives with his wife and kids. Um, he has late stage kidney disease. He's gonna mm-hmm. have to start dialysis soon. Like, and he was telling me the other day when we were meeting, he's like, "Man, I don't have very many other people except like." you and my family to talk to and my dad he's like i really value it so like we meet up every month or so and just like grab coffee or play chess down at the local coffee shop um and just having that relationship and that support and a constant connection to someone who's actually been through it and just getting that constant understanding and building that relationship and then secondly this guy named michael who um, actually goes to my college so my college has a, a initiative called the calvin prison initiative where it's a fully grant funded bachelor degree program inside one of the local penitentiaries. And oh, wow. um, Mike, Michael was in that program and he was in prison for 20 something years um, for a decision mm-hmm. he made when he was 18 or 19. And mm-hmm. now he's out, he got out released early and he's finishing up his degree on the main campus. And so he's graduating with me this spring and, mm-hmm. and we meet up every week and just have an amazing relationship. So I have all these supports. Um, from a variety of different places that aren't connected whatsoever. <laughs> but um, yeah, I see it as really important. It's really a priority in my life. What do you think the role is of young people in creating change and young people in calling a movement or calling being called to action? I think it's huge. Um, 
we need to speak up because the more we speak up, the more we learn. You know, the more we speak up, the more we have people being resistant to us speaking up. And that is just an opportunity for us to learn more and refine our arguments and refine what we believe. You know, you're refined in the fire kind of thing. So the earlier you start talking about what you care about, I mean, we're all going to get it wrong when we first start. You know, like I said, when I started this brand, I was so unnuanced in my conversations with people. I didn't really know the facts well enough to talk with any authority, but I just got better and better and cared more and learned more because I started having these conversations with a variety of different people. So I think one amazing benefit of young people is, well, most young people is that one, we're kind of, our, our, our risk centers in our brain aren't fully developed yet. So we'll take risks and do kind of dumb things. And sometimes they work out and can make awesome change. Um, but we're not held back, right, by thinking, oh, I don't think I can do that. You know, I feel like especially nowadays, a lot of young people are full in. I believe I can do that. And I believe I can change the world. And they haven't had that killed by cynicism yet. So I think that can be a really powerful force. And then two, just naturally um, got time on your side. You know, you can start a movement now and like, say, say I grow this for 10 years. Like, hopefully that's the case. I'm still doing this in 10 years. If everything goes to plan, I, I will be. Um, 10 years go by, I'm only going to be 31. You know, I still have time and I'm still young and I can still make change. Um, and I still, so I think that's an amazing thing that young people have on their side is man, if I had this whole transformation at 75 years old, man, I mean, just by nature, I wouldn't have much time to make much of a difference with it. And I feel so much more horrible for all the bad things I did throughout my life. Now, I mean, I caught it early and I'm on a path early enough that um, I can try and make atonement for my mistakes and really make significant change just because we got plenty of time and plenty of resources more than ever. Something I appreciate about what you said earlier when we were talking about support and people that you have around you was that there was like this um, mutual understanding and acceptance. Um, and I say that because I think there is this problem with white people starting nonprofits or doing work yes. in oh some kind God. of social service or helping profession, right? Where people are like, kind of like I'm feeding the poor mentality. White and I appreciate saviorism. the way, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I appreciate the way that you're talking about, um, you know, as you're kind of moving your company forward, that there's this mutual reliance, it's not just that you're helping other people, that they're helping you too. Exactly. Um, I can't do this without others. I can't do this without, particularly without people who are formerly incarcerated. They're willing. I mean, the the amount of courage it takes for someone who's formerly incarcerated to share their story with me, a stranger, uh, to put online for everyone to see is insane. The amount that they're willing to share with me and open up their heart to me. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm grateful for that every week that I get on the phone with people like that. Um, and then just, I, I think it's very important to have constant communication with people that are directly impacted by the issues. Um, so you can keep refining your perspective on it. And then two, if you look at my website, you're going to look, you can look all over my website. I think the only place where it has my picture on that website is at under, listed under one of the blog contributors. Um, you see some of these like white saviorism companies and on the about page, it's like a big face of the founder. It's like, hi, my name is Skylar Rich and I'm going to save the formerly incarcerated. Like, <laughs> you know, that's the kind of stuff you see. And it's just, look how, look how good we're doing. Look at all this amazing stuff we're doing. Um, and I'd really prefer it to be told um, by the art 
and by the apparel and and by the people themselves primarily i'd like their stories to tell themselves i don't want to come across as like why well, sat down with this man on this day and um and i really helped him like see a better future you know it's it's not about me it's about it's about the cause and it's about the wider um wider change skyler what would you want our listeners to hear we have listeners who are in urban areas listeners who are in rural areas we have listeners um in different countries what would you want them to know about this topic of prison reentry incarceration and changing perspectives from you know a pretty radical viewpoint to another very you know a very different perspective yeah um it's a great question if I want them to know anything, it's that I, I truly believe most people in the world have really good intentions um, and everyone is a product of their environment. So everyone is a product of, of things that have happened, of the media that's been presented to them. And it doesn't excuse anyone, but it starts to kind of explain it. You have a sense of empathy. If, this, if there's people, whether they've been incarcerated for doing some sort of crime or whether they have a toxic viewpoint such as I did, they don't think they're evil people. And so the best way to reach them is trying to find some sense of common ground with them and find a way you can relate to them and tell them that you understand that they're not trying to be evil and they're not trying to hurt people intentionally. Um, and that they just want it. They want the same things we do. Like I said, a safe society um, to feel loved, to love other people. And um, so I think it's really important to approach conversations like that. That being said, um, I want to say that especially when it comes to racism and racial reconciliation and those kind of talks, um, I don't expect or call for or at all say that like a person of color, for instance, should sit down and have a completely rational, loving, friendly conversation with a white supremacist, right? That's too much to ask to say mm -hmm. someone who is objectively disaffirming your humanity that you can just have a a normal, rational, like friendly conversation and up to you to change their mind. I don't believe that's the job of people of color, whatnot at all. That's not their job to prove to someone that they're a human being deserving of love and respect. Uh, that's the job of, of people who um, aren't impacted by that kind of by that kind of stuff. Those are the people that like me who've had this transformation uh, that needs to reach out to other people that look like me, other white people don't understand. And, and be a voice to them to call them out of their bigotry and to call them out of their racism. Um, so I just want to make that clear because I think a lot of times we have this like, if everyone just loved each other and like, why aren't you more like Martin Luther King and like being nonviolent? Why are you protesting? You know, like people have every right to protest. Um, there's a lot of really blatant injustices happening and anger is completely natural and necessary. And we need, in a sense, those protests and those rebellions happening to put pressure on the systems of power um, that are really systematically broken so um i just want to make that clear as well that i'm not i'm not blind to that and i don't think that the world if the world just had a little more love like everyone would be fine and <laughs> it's because you're not loving people enough that it's bad no i don't believe that um but i believe, I believe there's a really significant role for us as advocates to play uh, to, to have empathy and to find common ground and to really keep love in the conversation um and meet people where they're at secondly i have like four books I would really recommend people read um, if they're listening and really want to learn more about one reconciliation and, and secondly, incarceration. 
So in terms of incarceration, um, The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander mm-hmm. gives a really good uh, picture yeah. of the state of the system and um, highly recommend that. Um, also, Just Mercy, there's a movie that just came out, so that might be easier for yeah. people to go watch if you don't love reading. Um, that's one of the few books that's like made me cry. Um, just incredible story and incredible picture of humanity of a variety of people who really in that book, besides the overarching overarching story of someone who's wrongfully convicted, each chapter in between is talking about someone who is rightfully convicted. But yeah. did they really deserve to die for what they did? But you hear so many stories these people did objectively mm. bad things, right? And Brian Stevenson is still fighting for them and saying these people don't deserve to die. Yeah, they made a mistake, but they don't deserve to die. So that's another amazing one. And then um, two more are No Future Without Forgiveness by Desmond Tutu, um, mm. which is talking about the restorative justice and reconciliation that happened in South Africa post-apartheid. Uh, which is an insane story of the level of reconciliation that they were able to achieve in that country. And then the last one um, written by a guy whose birthday was yesterday is um, Strength to Love by Martin Luther King. And that one um, is basically a collection of some of his uh, best writings, speeches, sermons, whatnot about forgiveness and about love um, and what role it plays in advocacy and activism and in protest. And he's just a tenant of nonviolent civil disobedience and protest. Um, and he was hated for it at his time. So it's not necessarily a popular view. But um, yeah, amazing books. And those have really shaped my current ideologies. Wow, Skylar. You know, I'm just, I'm so amazed and inspired by your commitment to change. And I really hear that you are honoring the complexity and how hard this work really is. It's really, really hard and it's really complicated and there's so many people and, you know, different systems involved in the the way the state that we're in. Um, and yeah. I'm, you know, just so honored that you have decided to spend some time with us and share about what you're doing to make this world a better place and, and really partner with, um, communities who've been impacted by incarceration and, and show them love and, and honor the struggles that they've been through and the resilience they have to continue um, in the world that we live in. I appreciate you guys giving me a platform to, to talk about it. Seriously, it means a lot. Yeah, thank you so much, Skylar. I think we're really inspired by all the work that you're doing. And a few months ago when I spoke with you, um, you said something along the lines of when you were um, thinking of starting Forgive Everyone that, you know, you may not you may not create something that changes everything, but like getting started somehow. It's like, this is what I've got and it's better than not doing anything at all. And so thank you so much exactly. for doing that. Exactly. Thank you so much again. And if anyone wants to see more about what we're up to, websites, www.forgiveeveryone.com. Um, and yeah, just check it out and hang out with us. We're a really cool community of people. And uh, on Instagram, it's Forgive Everyone Co. And just yesterday was really encouraging even. We posted about Martin Luther King and like someone came in the comments and was saying like, well, what about the affairs he had and whatnot? And just like how how I responded and how the community responded to that was just amazing. And I'd, I'd recommend people go check that out because um, just addressing forgiveness and addressing you know, why, why we discredit people for just for mistakes they made in spite of all the good they're doing. So I'm really encouraged by the community you've developed. It's a really, it's a really cool place. 
Well, as you can tell, we are so impressed by Skylar and all the work that he does in the community. I think it's really interesting that his work is a good example of so many intersections between business and justice and the community, and I'm so grateful for him. What a cool story, and I've been wearing my um, Forgive Everyone shirt, and people have been asking me about it, and I've been able to share the amazing things that this company is doing, so we really appreciate Skylar coming on our show. Thank you.